Okay, welcome to Moyo Nutrition Podcast, where each week we bring you our thoughts and more in-depth discussion on the latest research reviewed in our weekly newsletter. You are joined today by nutrition professors Rachel Brown. Hi, Rachel. Hi there. And myself, Lisa Houghton, who are passionate about keeping you up to date with the latest health research and debunking the bad science amongst the over 20,000 nutrition-related publications a year. This is our second episode, and what have you got for us, Rachel? Well, in today's podcast, we look at a report from Marian Nissel, and she's, of course, of food politics fame, and her colleague, Lisa Young, who tracked the sizes of single-serve, ultra-processed food items really since their introduction. Now, these authors did a similar report back in 2002, which did kick off a bit of action in the nutrition community to try and advocate for the smaller portions. But so in in this recent paper, they not only looked at tracking the portion sizes, but they were also hopeful to see whether some of the efforts of 2002 had any impact on reducing uh, the portion size offerings now. Yeah, so why do they care so much about portion sizes? Well, I guess the obvious answer to that is is large portion sizes provide more calories than smaller portions. And as we know, if you are offered more, then you do eat more. And we do tend to estimate how much we're eating. And we really do underestimate the calories we're eating when the foods are ultra-processed or energy-dense. Yeah, so reading that previous publication in 2002, it does show that many single-serve portions have enlarged up to five-fold since they were first introduced. Yeah, it's quite a bit, isn't it? And uh, yeah, they they also showed that this really did parallel, that, that, so the increases in portion size were paralleled with calorie intake and the prevalence of overweight and obesity. Yeah, so in that publication in 2002 was quite uh, a big one and and they really used it to call upon uh, the food industry to stop selling foods in these very large portion sizes and start providing more reasonable portion sizes. So did it work? Well, mostly no. There are some positives that we'll talk about a little bit later. But overall, that they did observe really little change since the sizes were offered in 2002. And one of the things I found really interesting was when they were first introduced, most of the companies actually just introduced one size. Now, that size is actually smaller than the smallest size available today. So, for example, if we look at the original size of Coca-Cola bottle, um, that was actually 6.5 ounces. Now, those of us more familiar with the metric system, that's just a little under 200 mils. And today, it actually comes in six sizes. So, it's marketed in single-serve sizes um, in a range of six. And these range from 7.5 ounces, which is just over 200 mils, up to 24 ounces, which is just over 700 mils. And so four of the six of these newly, of these ones that are available now were introduced since 2002. Mm. 
There was a bit of good news, as I alluded to, in the fast food industry. So uh, since 2002, McDonald's has revised its servings of its French fries, and it's actually eliminated the supersize of the French fries and the soda. But still, their offerings do remain a little bit too high. And of course, every time we see a good thing, uh, they kind of turn around and disappoint it with another uh, so, for example, when McDonald's and Burger King decreased their portion of their French fries or, or their largest portion of their French fries, they actually increased their small portions. And also, while Burger King reduced the size of its hamburger sandwiches since 2002, they then introduced what's called the triple whopper. <laughs> so even where manufacturers reduce the size of some products, they compensated by introducing larger options. Like I noted in 2020, McDonald's introduced its double Big Mac with four patties, which tops your triple Whopper there, Rachel. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and, and that itself contained more than 700 calories. And you also noted in the newsletter that Burger King now markets a triple stacker King sandwich with more than 350 grams of beef and, you know, also loaded with calories there. Yeah, so it's it's nearly 6,000 kilojoules and, and just that sandwich, which is unbelievable. And if, if you think about it in terms of energy requirements, it's around about you know, two-thirds to three-quarters of a person's average energy requirement. And, you know, we're sitting at McDonald's or Burger King and we haven't even added in the fries or the Coke to the meal yet. Yeah, and, and given it's a U.S. study, I guess another question is, is this happening in other countries, say, like New Zealand? Yeah, well, a study published in 2008 by Helen Isles and her team uh, looked at serving size and energy and sodium across fast food sold across 10 major chains uh, or restaurant chains between 2012 and 2016. And not only did they find increases in, in some portion size, they also found increases in energy per serve. So some of the food items became more energy dense. Yeah, that was an interesting finding because I did note that some of these options that did become more energy dense look like the more healthier options like salads or some of the Subway sandwiches. Mm -hmm. So there was some good news. I guess they also found some decreases in sodium density. Yeah, there was a push to decrease sodium based on the WHO mandate to reduce both sugar and sodium. Yeah, so little good news, but overall, hmm. I guess they, we are seeing the similar results like the US. Yeah, yeah. Seems similar worldwide, doesn't it? Yeah, so so why would they even offer these larger sizes then? Well, it seems many companies use their newly introduced larger portion sizes really to, to boost sales and I guess gain customers. So just to create some hype then? Yeah, and, and they often do offer real value for their customers' money. And in many instances, the, the larger portions are actually cheaper than the smaller ones. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely going to pull people in. Like, for example, you noted that cost of a bottle of Coke from the Countdown website here in New Zealand, where the 600 ml bottle of Coke was $4 compared to that one and a half litre bottle, which costs less at $3.80. 
Yeah, and there's plenty examples of that across, you know, the whole fast food and, and packaged food industry. So the food companies are hyping it up, using it to boost sales, but are they actually making more money with these larger portions? Yeah, well, well, that's a really good question. And um, when you look in the US, uh, current policies really do support the production of these larger portions through subsidies of of basic ingredients that promote really overproduction and these low prices. So I guess basically in the the US, it's relatively inexpensive uh, compared to the, the cost of manufacturing and service. So these larger portions can really generate um, additional revenue for really very little cost. Yeah, they, they're there already with their service. So bringing in more customers is really what they want. And I suppose that customers also see the larger portion sizes as a bargain. So um, why not? I know my husband falls for that every single time. <laughs> <laughs> but they often contain more calories and, as you said, encourage overeating. So there's really no incentive for the food industry to make any changes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. No, and, and in fact, uh, in 2012, when New York City's Board of Health tried to limit the size of sugary drinks to 16 ounces, so that's just shy of 500 mil, so half a litre, so still quite sizable. Um, the measure really failed when the, the beverage industry and other opposing groups, they actually sued the uh, city and the courts ruled in their favour. You know, so ask yourself, uh, no acknowledgement or respect for public health. Yeah, that's that's pretty disappointing. So I guess the next question is, how do we go about educating the public then about the impact of these portion sizes on their own calorie intake and perhaps weight gain? Yeah, well, it looks like educating the, the food industry and hoping for some kind of voluntary change is not going to happen. So I guess in an ideal world, you know, government, food industry and educators really should collaborate to develop consistent messages to educate the the public on portion size and weight. And certainly, um, Marion Nessel and and Lisa Young, the authors of the paper, they really believe that mandated national policies that are legislated um, are not needed only to to cap um, food portion size, but also to make the, the smaller portions more available and convenient and inexpensive because like you say people do like a bargain yeah and and you know this seems to be her kind of lifelong mission here to Mm. decrease those portion sizes but break down other barriers you also provided a link in in the newsletter to the editorial that was written on this published paper where the first sentence, I love this first sentence of the paper states, Mm. the food supply in the United States is a catastrophe. They also go on to note that the typical American dietary pattern is not currently, nor has it ever been aligned with the recommendations issued by the dietary guidelines for Americans since their inception in 1980. So, I mean, that's really over 40 years. Mm. And while the authors of the editorial agree with Marion and Lisa regarding their suggestion to cap those portion sizes, like you say, get the government in there to, to mandate portion size caps, 
they still feel that this won't solve the problem with the Western diet, where about up to 60% of total energy intake is now coming from ultra-processed foods and those ready-to-eat, drink, heat, or snack-anywhere foods. Yeah, exactly. And and the authors feel that uh, smaller products remain devoid of intact matrices, you know, like fibre, um, that they would still be energy dense with fat, sugar, and, and often high in salt, and would continue to induce that kind of mindless eating, and so would discourage uh, switching to the whole minimally processed foods and freshly prepared dishes and meals. So perhaps the government needs to subsidize the fresh and minimally processed foods and um, ultra-processed foods should be made smaller and more expensive. Yeah, and, and less available as well, like and, and like removing it from school canteens and surrounding school areas and from hospitals and really other health settings. There's no need for them to be there. Yeah, well, it's starting to kind of sound like the tobacco strategy now. Yeah, and, and I think when we talk about ultra-processed foods, they're energy dense, and so it's even easier to over-consume on them. And there are some people who do think that these foods may be addictive. Now, this really is quite a, a controversial notion, um, but certainly there do seem to be qualities of these ultra-processed food that do encourage overeating, and we do see addictive-like behaviours like binging in, in response to some of these foods. Yeah, that whole kind of seeking pleasure, avoiding pain type aspect of yeah. our lives today. <laughs> <laughs> well, given these uh, kind of food corporations like McDonald's and Burger King and many of the other food companies, they operate worldwide. There have been calls for global action with the United Nations now. So, you know, going above and beyond our own country governments and getting the UN to step in particularly given their latest declared purpose has been to transform these food systems so that they can achieve those UN sustainable development goals. Yeah, and the time for change is needed. But I think we do recognise that radical measures are needed by governments in collaboration with, you know, educators and, and even the food industry. Yeah, I found it really interesting in the New Zealand um, published paper that they did highlight the Healthy Kids Industry Pledge. And this is here in New Zealand where food companies have been encouraged really since 2015 to make those kind of voluntary pledges to improve their products and help reduce obesity rates for children. However, they note one of the biggest problems is, is that there's no guideline for the industry. So while McDonald's has signed up to make this pledge, and they're the only company that's done so here in New Zealand. They have no kind of specific or measurable goals to improve the surf size or even the nutrient content of their products. So it looks good that they've signed up, but of course, nothing has been done. Yeah, right. And the problem really escalates, given that we know New Zealanders are eating more food away from the home. And of course, it's it's children and young people who are really the highest consumers of these fast foods. Yeah, and that's been shown all over the world. We're seeing this increased rate in consumption of takeaway and uh, products that are eaten away from home. Well, in our best practice section of the newsletter, we have linked you up with the New Zealand Eating and Active Guidelines, which have updated their serving size to describe the amounts of various foods that people should be eating. 
to meet their nutrient requirements, and these are set out by gender and life cycle group. We've also provided a great handout on New Zealand's Healthy Food Guide that has also created a one-page resource showing those ideal serving sizes for 48 foods, and they compare them to everyday items for easy visual reference, like a golf ball, so that you do have some kind of reference back to what the size should be. Yeah, that's really handy. And and we've also provided links to Marion Messel's Food Politics blog. It's such a great blog. And also uh, Lisa Young's uh, website and her many nutritional uh, educational resources there for clients on portion sizes. And I think that it's, it's really important given that some research also suggests that uh, portion size uh, that we actually have serve at the home are getting bigger, um, probably due to being exposed to these larger portions of the ultra-processed food when we eat out. So I think some of these resources really do remind us um, of what a portion size should ideally look like. Yeah, that's great because it really is hard to kind of turn back time once we end up with bigger portion sizes on our plate. Well, that's it for our episode today. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening in. All of our discussion and study links can be found in our weekly newsletter, which is free to anyone who wants to subscribe. You can go to our website at moyonutrition.com or sign up at our Twitter account at moyonutrition. To keep up to date, make sure you follow us here. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing us around. We'll be back next week where we'll be talking about what, Rachel? Well, I thought next week um, there was an interesting paper recently published on the speed of eating and whether chewing uh, and slow eating actually may affect energy balance. I thought that might be a handy thing to have a look at. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that. It sounds really great. Until next week, stay safe and uh, follow us here. Thanks very much. Bye now. Bye.